Welcome to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. I am your host, Claudine Wolk. You can find me at my Substack account, claudinewolk.substack.com. We're talking all about publishing and book marketing. If you have decided that you want to write a book and you're trying to figure out how to publish it, or maybe you've already written a book and you're trying to figure out how to market it, this is the podcast slash Substack for you. Our goal is to give you great tips, by example in some cases, to help you get your book seen and sold. So join us through the newsletter or the podcast today and get your book seen and sold. Hey, Get Your Book Seen and Sold podcast listeners. I added a couple of goodies to my Substack account. If you would like to be a subscriber at the $50 a year level, you will get a fill-in-the-blank book marketing plan. And at the $100 level, you will get not only the book marketing plan, but also a half an hour consultation with me via Zoom. Sign up today. Welcome to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. Sarah Fay is an award-winning author, creative writing teacher, and keynote speaker. Her work has been featured in and on NPR, Oprah Daily, Salon, Forbes, WGN Morning News, The Rumpus, Thrive Global, Lit Hub, Psychology Today, Mind Body Green, The Los Angeles Times, and more. She writes for many publications, including The New York Times, The Atlantic, Time, the Paris Review, where she was an advisory editor. Her journalistic memoir, Pathological, The True Story of Six Misdiagnoses, Diagnoses, probably, was an <laughs> Apple Best Books pick, hailed in the New York Times as a fiery manifesto of a memoir, and named by Parade Magazine as one of the 16 best mental health memoirs to read. As a creative writing teacher, she's on the faculty at Northwestern University and DePaul University. She runs Serialize, a weekly publication and course website, where authors learn how to write novels or memoirs readers really want to read and keep reading. She is our guest today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I just have to say, lesson number one for all listeners that are writers do not choose a, a word for the title of your book that people cannot pronounce because <laughs> misdiagnoses, everyone tripped on it during publicity. I mean, like every single interviewer tripped over that word. So that's the, that's the lesson number one. <laughs> that is so funny. Awesome. Okay. So Sarah uh, writes on Substack and that is where we found each other. And she is going to talk about um, using serializing as a tool for writers and hopefully especially using Substack. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you. And, and Sarah also helps writers finish their work and get their work published uh, in a kind of a consulting practice. And she's going to talk a little bit about that too. We are so happy to have you. It's just too bad you're not qualified enough to talk to us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Woo, that was a lot to say. I was thinking I should cut that down. No, no, no. It's my fault. I picked, I was picking and choosing and your website is great. By the way, you can find Sarah at her website, Sarah Fay, F-E-Y dot, oh, it's F-A-Y. Sarah Fay, F-A-Y dot org. And her Substack title is Serialize. Everyone, I never had trouble with my name until Tina 
Faye came along. <laughs> and then suddenly I was always F-E-Y instead of F-A-Y. <laughs> you know, it's funny. She actually lives not too far from me. I should say she owns a home, um, I'm told, in New Hope, right on the in the water. And I oh, pass wow. it, you know, when I'm down in that in that area. I haven't run into her yet, though. <laughs> you guys aren't close yet. No, we're not tight yet. <laughs> I'm hoping. So anyway, okay, so your time is so valuable. I'm so excited that you're here. So what is serializing? And why should an aspiring writer or a writer who's already produced some books consider it? Yeah, it's, to me, it's the future of publishing. Um, I think it's the present of publishing as well. So just to give you a little bit of background, I've taught creative writing for 20 years at the University of Iowa and Northwestern. And so when Substack came around, I just started writing for it, like many people do. And I was putting up mainly personal essays. And then the short story writer, George Saunders, if you know him, um, he went and was suddenly teaching on Substack. He was teaching the art of the short story, and he's still on there. Um, his site is called The Story Club. And I was, I thought, that is brilliant. Why should I only teach the handful or couple of handfuls of students every year who get who have the time and money for an MFA when I could bring my teaching to everybody on Substack. So I ended up going um, on a discussion thread, which is where we met, and I couldn't believe the number of people who were serializing novels or memoirs. And all of them were asking for help. Nobody knew how to do it. And my, so I have an MFA in creative writing. I also have a PhD in literature. So I just did schooling forever. <laughs> I missed the entire Obama administration while I was in my six year PhD program. <laughs> but part of my dissertation was on the serial novel in the 19th century. And so when I saw that, I, I realized, and, and then I sort of looked at what people were serializing and they knew nothing about the form. So unless what was happening was people were just going up, going on and posting chapters. That's not serialization. And let me give you an example. So serialization has been around, um, you know, really some people date it back to the 17th century, but certainly the 18th century. Um, and so you can think of a, a work like Robinson Crusoe, which was serialized and, and we could go through many Dickens. Charles Dickens is the name that is most often associated with serialization. All of his novels were serialized. He also ran three different magazines during his lifetime, and he serialized not as an editor and publisher, mind you. He serialized not only his novels, but other people's, like Wilkie Collins, who wrote The Woman in White, and Elizabeth Gaskell, who wrote North and South, and Ruth, and all of those. So this is, as you can tell, what I geek out on. I oh, love yeah. this stuff. I love the literary archives and going back. So then you can kind of, that's usually where people stop. Alexander Dumas in... Um, France also did uh, The Count of Monte Cristo and others. So, you know, most people will stop their sort of understanding of serialization there and in the 19th century. But since I know all of it, you can go forward Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, Richard Wright's Native Son. I mean, we can just keep going, right? But come with me all the way to 1934 and Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None was serialized in this country in the Saturday Evening Post. Wow. And what's amazing, so this is the queen of mystery, right? Dame Agatha. And I love her. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, no shade here. But anyway, so her book had been written first. So she wrote it with a single volume in mind, which many writers do. And then you're thinking, 
the way someone does when they have a book, it's a commitment, right? You have the book in your hands and you've almost said, yes, I will read you. <laughs> and so if, if, if it's not grabbing you, you're still more likely to continue. The whole thing is there for you. Well, serialization is publishing a book in installments, typically in a magazine or newspaper. Um, and so what um, you don't have that same commitment, right? You can leave at any time. What if you don't seek out the next issue, you know, whatever it might be. Anyway, so Agatha Christie sends the manuscript that's, you know, written for book form to the editors at the Saturday Evening Post, and they changed the endings. They changed not the endings of the story, but where the chapter breaks are. So their installment breaks, what they ran, have better cliffhangers than the chapter breaks. Again, I'm not trying to diss Dame Agatha, but actually the editors of the Saturday Evening Post had better instincts in terms of cliffhangers and how to keep readers reading than Agatha Christie did. Mm. But she just thought in terms of books rather than really, you almost need kind of an eye for journalism to really serialize well and to think of that. Coincidentally, Charles Dickens was a journalist before he became a novelist. So he had that that eye as Mm. well. And then he was, you know, managing a magazine at one point in his life or various points of his life. And so he thought like an editor and a publisher too. So again, it's kind of like what serialization today has become is a little bit different. So what's happening today is pending. There's Kindle Vela is one source or one platform for this. Um, And it started about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a little bit longer but Kindle Vela is only for novels, hence the Vela. So novellas is tends to be the length of what they are publishing. They tend towards certain genres. Um, it used to be that they only they would in, it was sort of an invite only um, thing, and now they are allowing anyone can uh, serialize their novel on there. They have very different kind of rules and and what they want. Um, there are other you know sort of. Uh, platforms. Wattpad is another one, but I love Substack. I always say I should be, I should get paid by them because I love them so much, (laughs) but it, you know, we can talk about how great it is. I mean, the fact that we met on the discussion thread, I think what I love about Substack is it's such a different mentality as someone who came from traditional publishing, major newspapers, magazines, MFA programs, agents, editors, that world is so cutthroat. It's so competitive. I joke like MFAs are the Hunger Games enacted (laughs) with writers, you know. And so, but Substack is this totally different place where the mentality is there's enough to go around. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of readers. It gives me goosebumps. Like, let's share. Mm -hmm. Let's support each other. And I just love that. Um, So I really wanted to be on Substack, teaching people how to serialize on Substack. And um, I do, you know, what I talk about is can be applied to any platform. I just get more specific. Every platform is going to have its own demands. And it's important that you think about those. Um, So, yeah. So I just wanted to think in terms of Substack. Okay. So let me ask you, in terms of um, when you as an author put your work out there, we're talking about, and I'm going to get very basic here, we're talking about a book that maybe you have already written or maybe you're you want to have written great question and i know that i get so excited so if i go off on a tangent just reel me back in but um so there are two ways to do it 
Some writers go week by week, right? So they're just doing it in real time. Uh, Charles Dickens often did that. Or you've got a situation like Agatha Christie where she has a full manuscript that then is serialized. Okay. And you can think about neither one is correct. Neither one is the right way to do it. So it's really just your personal preference. I think the week to week is exciting. I do recommend getting three to six weeks ahead. If you're doing, you know, we can talk about how often to publish too, but definitely get ahead. Don't be writing for that week. I think that would be too stressful. What if something happened, you get sick, whatever it might be. Because timeliness and being prompt and creating that relationship with your readers is so important. Um, as Dickens used to say, his main priority was keeping faith with his readers. Mm. And that was all he wanted. He just revered his readers and subscribers. So you can do it either way. Okay. But if you, let's say you already published a book, can you serialize a book that's already published? So if you've, this is really fascinating. So if you go, if you've gone, so my memoir pathological came out from HarperCollins. Um, I cannot serialize that, right? I own the rights to it, um, but it, I think that they own part of the rights. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at my contract. (laughs) I'm not very good at that. But what's really kind of astounding, Substack, you own the rights to all of your work. So if you were to publish an entire book or novel or memoir on there, you could then sell it to a traditional publisher via an agent. No problem. Really? It's not looked at as having been published before. Nice. Several reasons for that. One, they don't have to, you know, they aren't negotiating, um, you know, fees and and um, the rights to, with various uh, magazines or newspapers or whatever it might be. But the other reason there, and then there's a third reason actually, but the other reason is that you can always take it down. Mm-hmm. So let's say the book is going to come out, you know, your publisher may actually say, yeah, can you take it down off of Substack, which is fine because serialization is really this living thing. You really want it. I mean, when we think about, we still have copies of Charles Dickens's novels serialized in his magazine, Household Words. We have those sort of like old editions or issues of them, you know, in archives. But once it was gone, it was gone. Mm. And there's that same ethereal kind of, um, you know, vibe to it. The other reason publishers are sort of looking at it this way, and I got this from, you know, my own editor, is that Substack is really changing publishing and it's completely changing it. And so serializing on Substack can do a lot of different things. If you attract an audience, that can be a real plus in terms of getting an agent and then publishing houses interested. So that's something to think about. The other thing is that many writers are going to Substack and basically kind of saying, why would I wait two years for my book to come out and, you know, get an advance, but then that's the limit. And there's no, I mean, very few authors, it depends on the size of your advance, but very few authors make royalties. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the beautiful part about publishing and the most misunderstood part about it, which is that what publishing houses do is they give advances to authors that they know their books are not going to what's called earn out, meaning you're never going to make back. I mean, the publishing house does, but you're never going to earn enough to suddenly be over the kind of cost of it. And they do that. They balance that with the bestsellers. So like the Michael Crichtons and and whoever. And, and that's a beautiful mentality that I've always loved about traditional publishing. But a lot of writers are saying, wait, I could just have it up on Substack, be making money right along, you know, all the way along. And then it could continue indefinitely. Um, 
So right. yeah. So we should we should say just for anybody who's listening who isn't completely familiar with Substack, the reason yeah. that the author is getting paid is because. Oh yeah, so you have subscribers on Substack. Um, you can choose not to have them pay, and and that's something that especially you know um, newer writers might want to consider because you want to build um, a, a sort of I was going to say stable, but a, a, a nice list of subscribers, a group of readers, whether you are they are paid subscribers or not, especially if you have an eye toward traditional publishing. Because that is the kind of thing, what agents and editors want to see is that people will buy your book. And what's interesting about Agatha Christie, for instance, as an example, and I think this is true, is that readers will still buy the book, even if they read it in serial form. So on Substack, you have subscribers, they can be free or paid. Often what people do is they have a certain amount of free content that they give, and then a certain amount of paid content. Um, I think that what, you know, we can talk more about this, but I was actually um, speaking with people at Substack about how do you really serialize on there and how do you get readers um, and what are sort of the ins and outs of Substack, which Substacks have worked, which serializations have worked, which not so much, and what can we learn from those? And and that information is what I'm then giving to readers on Serialize is what, how do we do this really? Um and so I hope that answered your question. It yeah. does. There's just just so many, so many questions come up every time you say something. <laughs> um, but so for authors out there who uh, are at the point where they're ready to get part of their manuscript out and they're concerned about someone stealing their work, I hear that yeah. a lot. What would you say to them? I hear that a lot too. You, I would be flattered. Right, and I don't mean this to belittle it, but it's the it's the funniest thing that I hear because it's like the least of our problems is someone quote unquote stealing your work, and I know that that is a you know that's a valid concern. I think it comes from writers just starting out because it feels like this is the only idea I'm ever going to (laughs) have. This is my only book, and it's not true. You you are endlessly creative. I promise. Your brain cannot (laughs) stop being creative. So I think that it's a valid concern, uh, but I would it wouldn't be one that I would share or that I would think anyone would need to worry about. The cases of people, you know, sort of stealing ideas are so far and few between. I mean, I can remember a Jim Carrey movie that someone stole from a playwright. I don't know, but I sort of have never heard of that really happening. The other thing is if someone steals your quote unquote idea, ideas premises for novels and memoirs are, it's all the same. We're all writing. I mean, you know, whether or not there are only three plots or seven plots or 21, whichever one you want to, you know, believe really our stories are all the same because our human experience isn't all the same, but they are, they go through familiar phases and, and experiences. We're all really writing about similar things, not completely, you know, I don't want to deny anyone's personal experience, but so when you think about it, no one can write it the way you do. Right. And that's what you have to have faith in is in yourself and in your readers will want to read your version. Even if someone took exactly the same events and storyline and characters, they wouldn't do it the same. 
Got it. Okay. Uh, and then as far as what you do, so in the, um, we talked about the Substack writers room thread, and um, I noticed that Sarah was, you know, sharing her knowledge. And, and it was kind of, it was like, I, I, I was, this is how I was taking it. I was taking it like, you're doing it wrong. And so, um, <laughs> kind of. right. So how, how should an author form some good habits if they want to serialize their work and maybe in terms of how what you offer to help them through your Substack serialize? Well, first of all, I have so much of a stake in this, meaning I want you all to succeed so badly. That's why I was saying you're doing it wrong. Let's not <laughs> lose this opportunity. Because serialization one is a form that I just love. I think it's the most beautiful thing. There's a reason why TV shows still serialize, right? And we still, yes, we binge on Netflix, mm. but nobody feels good after a binge. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we like actually serialization is healthiest yes. when we think about it. Um, So, you know, it's just such a beautiful form and I want to see it come back. But more than anything, and Substack is so much a part of this, unlike Medium and some of the other platforms, which I'm not, they have their pluses as well, but Substack has changed the pay structure for writers. And they they have literally started to do that. That's what what they their goal has been is to give writers a way to make money. They've removed the gatekeepers and now any everybody has a chance. And I think that that's such a beautiful thing, but because you earn yeah, uh Substack takes 10% of your subscriptions um which is, you know, they have to take something. Sure. Um but otherwise you get all the money, you own the rights to your work. Um, you don't have to have a hundred subscribers before your or followers is what Medium calls it before you're even earning any money. You have, you know, have the right to do it. It's really in your control, um, and I love it. But then what was happening on Substack was um, people were doing a couple. One, the main sort of flaw, and and this was true of. Salman Rushdie, and I'm not trying to complain about Salman Rushdie is a gorgeous writer, and I still read his novel, a novella, I guess it was, on Substack. But he was also just publishing chapters. So it didn't really take off. Um, And I'm talking about like, I want to see a blockbuster, you know, millions of subscribers kind of a thing on Substack, reading novels and memoirs. Um, But what the other side of it was that people were serializing kind of as they went chapters, quote unquote, and calling them novels, but they were only 10,000 words. So that's not a novel, right? That's a short story. If we look at, um, you know, uh, 30,000 to 70,000 is about a novella, 70,000 on up can be called a novel. So we were, you know, basically it just felt like, wait, we're not really taking advantage of this form yet. And because I want to see it succeed. So what I'm doing on there is a couple different things. So as a, you know, I'm a professor. So of course I had to offer courses on there. (laughs) Um, But what I realized was, okay, if you're a new writer and you're like, this sounds cool, I kind of want to serialize, but I don't know. Or I have this manuscript, but I have no idea how I would start. What I give um, everyone, or this is for paid subscribers only. There's a ton of free content on there, though. I really want to make it, you know, available to everyone. But those who are really serious and want to get into it, I have a prep your memoir and prep your novel course each. So you can do one or the other or do both. I don't know if you're going to do both. Um, But you can, it basically takes you through six steps to prep your novel or memoir. 
Meanwhile, every Tuesday and Friday I'm posting. Tuesdays are kind of craft lessons. They're looks at the history of the genre, what we can learn from Agatha Christie about cliffhangers, or I did on um, this past Tuesday, I just did the Dickens formula. He had a formula for serialization. So um, those are kind of more looking at the history and the form of it and the art of it, which I just love. And then Fridays are really nuts and bolts. So those are for paid subscribers. Tomorrow we're doing titles. How do you title a book, which is, you know, the million dollar question. So we look at just traditional publishing, like what is a great title, but then how does that shift and what are the concerns when you're looking not only, but digitally, you know, in in any way, like what was interesting when I put out my book is you look at, you think about the book jacket cover. Well, now you have to think about it, this, you know, tiny on Amazon, (laughs) you know, what will it look like? What's the digital version of this? Um, but looking at titles and how they will work on Substack because you're sending each installment is what serializers have always called them rather than chapters. And the reason for that is that sometimes installments will have several chapters. So we needed a new term. Some people are calling them episodes. Kindle Vela calls them episodes. Um, but you're sending out an email. So what does the title look like in the email? And I'll give you an example of like, you're doing it wrong, (laughs) is um, a lot of people just put chapter 48. Oh, my goodness. Who wants wants that in their email box? Like, I unsubscribed from someone because I just thought, you're making me do the work. (laughs) I don't want to have to guess what chapter 48 means. And then I have to look at, wait, who's this from? And, you know, our inboxes are full and we're busy and you know, someone needs our help or whatever it might be. So uh, that's just one example of, okay, but then how do you make the title work for you? Another thing I was talking about with the people at Substack is how do you serialize in a way that people can dive in, can jump in in the middle and Mm. not feel like I've missed something or I have to catch up? How can you get them entranced? And I think that Dickens is a great example of this. In many ways, he has a lot of subplots and too many characters, but each, you know, of his installments were so perfect that you could start at any place and kind of catch up. Yeah. And that's the other thing I'm trying to teach people to do is how do you make each installment self-contained, not like a short story or a personal essay, although we could talk about that. I think memoirs are much easier to serialize than novels um, because they tend not to have a lot of crazy subplots and surprises and, you know, cliffhangers. We're, we're more interested in the person's emotional journey. Right. And that can take place over one installment or the whole narrative arc. Oh, I um, love it. So there's just, it's just so fun to teach and it's so fun to, I think, learn. You know, when when you first talking. started talking about the difference between what we thought serialization was and what it actually is and and these the self-contained idea that you just brought up, I thought of the TV pilot, especially with Mad Men. I was a big Mad Men fan, and I remember mm-hmm. looking, um, read. they had these after things with the director, and and, and uh, I forget the guy's yeah. name who did that Mad Men. Um, it'll come to me. But when he was interviewed, he said that pilot is supposed to be like a movie, complete from start mm-hmm. to finish, that if that was the only thing you watched, you would, you would get yeah. the beginning and the end. That's kind of what we're talking about with each serialization piece. Yeah. And what's funny. So let's think about some of the biggest memoirs that have been out there. This is why I say it's easier. Um, I'm just going to draw two. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. She was a blogger. 
she knew self-containment. I mean, each one, it doesn't read Mm. as a book at all. It's really just, I mean, you can jump in anywhere. It doesn't, it's not, I mean, I don't mean to belittle her, the narrative arc of her book, but, um, and then look at somebody who's a little bit more or a lot more literary, um, Jeanette Walls, The Glass Castle. I mean, such a beautiful book. I mean, it's, it's stunning. And the narrative arc is so important yet. I could have picked up that book anywhere mm-hmm. and I would have been completely immersed. I would have known who the Walls family is. I would have known all the family members. You know, that's what I mean about self-contained. They don't have to necessarily just be blog posts. You can be really devoted to memoir as a form and want that overarching narrative arc and still, you know, you can still like there are certain things you can do. So one thing I talk about is context. You just have to make sure you're always looking at it from what Dickens called the weekly perspective, Mm. that you were always just coming at it as a reader. And Substack has this cool thing where you can send a test email to yourself so you can see what it looks like before it goes out. And I recommend that um, writers kind of have a week between when they finished an installment, at least, and when it's going up and to wait a week. So you get the installment and try to think, okay, no one's read, someone has never read any of this before. They have to know who John is. They have to know that Mary is Elizabeth's sister. I'm just picking up names, but you know, so how can I contextualize that? How can I make that apparent in the text? So for instance, let's just say that Daisy and Tom using Gatsby are married, right? But I'm kind of, you know, I don't really stress that in this chapter. Well, you have them call each other honey and touch each other in that familiar way. Well, then we get long married, right? right? So there are really crafty craft ways, you know, that you can go in and make them, mm. you know, available to any reader at any point. Right. The other option though, and I think this is really cool, is some people you can give start dates and end dates. So if you know, and I think this is a, a really good idea too, is you could run it several times. You know, so you could run it, let's say, January to May, May to December. You know, you could run it for a year and then people could catch up. Right. So you ran it for six months and then you run it for another six months. So if people missed parts, they could catch up. There's a guy on Substack and it's called Dracula Daily. Have you seen that one? I have seen that one. Yep. It's really great. He's serialized Dracula um, and he's messed with it a bit once again to make it work for Substack, but he's been doing it for seven years. Wow. <laughs> and he runs it, I guess the novel takes place March to November. And so he runs it every March to November. Um, and then, you know, what we're getting into now is how much do you send? How often, right? How many emails do you, you know, that's getting into the particulars. And that's actually a post I have coming up next Friday is looking at that. But on my site too, on, on my Substack, all this is in the archive. So you can you could go back and just pick and choose what you want to read and you can jump in at any point. And There's that, no like That was going to be my next question in terms for serializing then um you you can also go back if you wanted to catch up, right? Because all of those oh, yeah. posts are still there. Yeah, so I'm actually serializing my second book. And this is kind of interesting. So pathological is very much about my journey in the mental health system over 25 years. And then I wrote um, the sequel, which is my full recovery from mental illness. I did not even know this was possible. It is. <laughs> there are a lot of people who've done it, it seems. Wow. So I wa- really wanted to write that. And I really wanted to give people the resources and the tools that I used. So I wrote this book 
that I called Cured. Um, and it's a memoir and it's, you know, how one woman fully healed from serious mental illness and found the secret to mental health. That's the subtitle. Nice. All words you can pronounce. <laughs> Notice. <laughs> Make Cured. Diagnosis. <laughs> diagnosis. Diagnosis. Okay. Got it. Um, so but anyway, so now that I'm serializing it, I'm, you know, seeing all those same issues. But one one of the, you know, sort of when you think about, well, should I have an eye toward traditional publishing right away or should I serialize? The decision to serialize I made with my agent um, and I made it with my editor as well. And there were a few things that came into play and these are very personal, so it won't totally apply, but I wanted to get the information to people quickly. We're in a mental health crisis. I wanted them to have tools to help their families and their loved ones and themselves. So I'd have to wait two and a half years, probably three, for the book to come out traditionally. Um, I also wanted it to spark a wave of people feeling like they can recover, you know, through an episode or whatever it might be. So again, there was that immediacy. And some people writing memoirs might feel that. Um, And then the other... um, Part of it was that I didn't want to be known as a mental health writer. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I write novels and I write, uh, you know, um, nonfiction and, you know, obviously I love literature and I love writing about literature. So if I'd written, if I'd published two books about mental health, you know, one thing my editor said is you're going to be a mental health writer. That's what you're going to be known as. Right. And so she's like, do something totally different. Nice. But I wanted it out there. Sure. Um, so it was just great. It was, just, it's just such a nice alternative. And there are so many different reasons you might want to do it. So is that book serialized on your Substack? Substack. Yeah. yeah. So if you just go to, I met with them yesterday, so I think we're changing it. But if you go... <laughs> The the uh, the the URL, but if you go to serafay.net, and I'll have it on serialized. That's what I'll say. Don't worry, I'll have I have a link to it on serialized, so you can find it on there. And I'm using it as um, like an experiment. An experiment, basically. I want to be able to experiment for those of you who are serializing or thinking about it and say like, this didn't work. I want to make all the mistakes so you don't have to. No, that's so nice <laughs> of you. Well, and there there are other things that you offer to authors. So for an author who is listening to you and saying, I really need help. I, I either want to start uh, to serialize my manuscript or uh, I just, I want Sarah's help in finishing my novel. I want Sarah's help in publishing my novel. Where, where yeah. do they go and- how do they get started? So I offer private workshops. Um, they are just one of the highlights of my week. So we meet every week via Zoom. So there's not a, you know, you're not location bound. Um, and what I do that's a little bit different than other, um, that it's a little different than other workshops. It is, it is very much geared toward publishing. So you go in with an idea in mind. So I have one student right now who is um, working on this beautiful personal essay. It's incredible about her serving on a um, uh, a jury. And that is, so we're definitely looking at it, not just kind of in midair, like this, this work we're getting, you know, we're workshopping it and people are giving feedback. It's like, hmm, where do we want to see this run? What what magazine do we want to see this in? Okay, so we saw it's it's very long. It's going to be like a New Yorker, uh, long reads, narrative, some of these sites. And so we really are like kind of talking about it with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I have other extremes too. I have one um, student who's writing an amazing family history that she doesn't know if she's even going to publish, but she has a model in mind if she did. And so again, it's just a little bit more geared. First of all, it's more independent. I very much let the writers kind of run um, the discussion, which is a little bit different and ask questions of us rather than just getting a bunch of feedback <laughs> that can be like irrelevant. And wh- why do you laugh about feedback? Because feedback is, it's an issue with, with writers, right? <laughs> it's, it's really weird. I mean, I think the best description was um, in one of my university writing workshops, people started talking about, there was a um, pacemaker talked about okay. in one uh, chapter of a memoir. And it was, or I guess it was, maybe it was a short story, but that was our conversation for 15 minutes. Was it realistic? And it was like, enough of the pacemaker. Like, let's move on. So it can just get a little nitpicky. And I think what happens is if you don't direct your questions, um, if the writer isn't saying, here's what I want help with, this is what I'm struggling with, then you get a bunch of feedback that may or may not be relevant because you're not going to appeal to every reader. (laughs) You're just not. So you're going to have your readers and- um, so that's what I do in that private workshop, but I'm going to start another one at the end of March specifically for serializing. Okay. So for people who want to serialize and they're very small. Um, so the limit has been six, I might raise it to 10. Um, but it's a very intimate group of students. And I love that because then I can give a lot of personal feedback. Um, but I run them four times a year. So you can go on my website, sarahfay.org. Uh, it's backslash workshop, but you can just go on there and it will take you to serialize. It will take you to my workshops as well. So it's uh, once a week Zoom for how many weeks? Yeah. I do eight weeks. Eight weeks. And for an hour at a time? Yeah, actually, they, they, you know, we kind of run it however long it goes. And I mean, not, we're not going to midnight, but, you know, so the most, I always say six to nine central um, so that there's, you know, but again, if we had people on the East coast who needed it seven to nine or something like that, um, it's very, pretty negotiable actually, but it usually is no more than three hours and I've never really gone that long. Gotcha. Okay. But and it's then, really fun. Then back to, um, what you offer on serialize. So with a, uh, founding membership, so that's a paid membership to your, uh, Substack account. What would the, um, serializer, um, get from that? Yeah. So as I said, every Tuesday, free subscription. So please just subscribe if you're just, this sounds interesting, or you're just like, "Hmm, maybe I would think about this. So you can do it completely for free. So please do that. Um, And I try to get as much information, you know, there as well. And then Fridays, you would get um, the more sort of uh, technical craft publishing advice. Right. Um, and that's the paid subscription. So it's $6 a month and $50 a year, which comes out to about a dollar a week. Is right. your writing career worth it? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think so. A dollar a week. Right. Um, but and, anyway, and your archives so, as well, Sarah, right? Yeah. Your, your- full access to all the archives, but you also get access to the prep your novel, prep your memoir courses, Nice. which I just have found people are just love it. And and it just sets them up to be ready to go. But the other great thing is we have a member serializations area. So its own thread. So you can share your serialization. You can find other members serializations and follow each other. So really, we want that to be, you know, kind of a hub 
for serializations. And so you don't feel like you're just going at it alone. And then there's a kind of office hours, ask me anything where I will respond to any questions. Nice. They really should pay you, Sarah, because Substack, you're coming up with a lot of great ideas. <laughs> I know. I met with them and they were like, how did you do all this? Like, because I, I you know, and, and again, I was just so, it was like, when I found it, it was as if all of my training came together, mm-hmm. you know, my my MFA, all my teaching, my writing, uh, and then my PhD. And I have not used my PhD for anything yet. So <laughs> this is exciting. It feels like those six years were worth it now. There you go. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. So for the audience who's listening and they want to get started, what what do you say is the first step? So the first thing I, I have people actually in the prep your novel, prep your memoir, the first two kind of steps that I take you through, um, one is kind of looking at the, um, the specific idea versus, you know, the more general idea and how do you get it more specific. But then the other thing I take people through is your why. Why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And I think that that can give you so much strength as you're moving through um, and also give you some direction as well. So that's one thing that just to consider. And it doesn't have to be some noble, like I want to save the world. You know, I just want to see if I can do it. Yeah. I just want to prove to myself that I can. I've always wanted to. I mean, those are all really, you know, I want to be able to, in two years, I want to look back and see my work, mm-hmm. you know, there that I've completed a novel or I've completed a memoir finally. And to see it up on, you know, Substack in this community of writers is just really cool um, versus like, you know, a Kindle ebook where you're all alone. Yes. <laughs> You know, completely alone and no one to talk to and no way to promote it. And, you know, it's just it. it, so. um, But I think the other thing is just to remember if you have an idea. So um, Henry James called it the seed. Mm. And what to think about is I have people just basically write down every association with that idea, like kind of to just create you know, gather everything you've thought about with this idea, if you're at that very, very beginning stage. But the other thing you can do is if you already have, um, you know, let's say the first chapter or something, and you have an idea of where it might go, then to look at, um, okay, what is the main topic? Some people say theme, but theme kind of has a dirty word. It's like a dirty word in creative writing for some reason. But like, what is the focus? What is the focus of what I'm interested in within this story. Yep. So that's one way to kind of start to tease it out. But what I take people through, again, those six steps, it starts with the idea. Right. Then we go into character. Then we go into setting. We talk about point of view. And even in memoir, you know, like what is the point of view? We think of it in novels, but that's so important to decide in memoir because what a lot of memoirists don't understand is, you are writing from you now, but you aren't you now in the book. Right. You are you then. So Philip Lopate calls it the the unstable self. You are an unstable self. So you have to get in the point of view of you when you were 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or whatever it was. Um, so we go through that. And then what I have um, all writers do is build an event ladder. Okay, so like a ladder, you know, you know, that you're putting against a house. And 
the event ladder is different from an outline. One thing is it will keep you centered in plot. Plot is absolutely imperative for serialization. I would argue it is imperative for all publishing (laughs) these days. We love plot. We want things to happen. You know, I mean, that's just, I love plot. Um, So you create an event ladder of events. It's actually based on, yes, I've been in the Dickens archives and (laughs) held his, you know, like works in my gloved hands. Um, But that's what he did. He had an event ladder. That's how he, that was his whole, if we even want to call it an outline, but that's, you know, it's an outline for people who hate outlines. Mm -hmm. It will keep you focused on what happens here, what happens there. So in this installment, that installment, um, and then we also go through the first post. So writing your first post. So by the time you go through the six prep your novel or prep your memoir um, classes, you are ready to go. Nice. Wow. So much, so much help being offered. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you one last question. So yeah. you've worked with countless authors, I'm sure. Is there any that stand out to you? And you don't have to get specific in, in naming, but bringing their project from beginning to end that is particularly meaningful to you? I've had many. And I think the ones, because I work in a university, so I'm often in that, you know, that's my, um, that tends to, I mean, not only, but, but certainly I, I see more students than I do. I was going to say normal people. <laughs> it's not, I would say non-students. Um, but anyway, so to see, you know, one of my students, uh, one of them was just this wonderful nonfiction writer and she had gone to Moody Bible Institute, right? So that's like, uh, you know, it's in Chicago and it is not uh, a rigorously, uh, rigorous academic education, right? She had never taken an English class. She had never taken creative writing classes before mine. And she was very, very talented and just worked so hard and got into NYU's premier creative writing program. And it was just like, that is, that's just like it for me. So I think too, you know, um, if you have an MFA as well, that serialization can be a place to, if you feel like you're floundering, to do something finally with that MFA that you have. Or if you've taken a million workshops, same thing. Right. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, writers, it's almost like they have to write. I mean, there's, it's just this, you know, and to to have an outlet and, and someone, a resource like you to be able to help them along is, is fabulous. And I love teaching. I've done it for 20 years. And I just, it, it, it is so fun to see people right now on serialized, just, you know, so energized and so excited and, you know, posting their first installments and, and it's really, really fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we've been speaking with Sarah Fay, her website, sarahfay.org and her subsack Serialize. You can check out everything that she does over there at Serialize to help you to serialize your own works, as well as the additional consulting that she gives. Um, SarahFay.org has all the workshop information on it. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, any Anywhere else on social media that you like people to find you? I'm Sarah Fay, at Sarah Fay Author on all socials. I'm really only on Instagram, and there are a lot of cat videos. <laughs> I'm just going to warn people. So I am a cat lover, so you get my kitties, nice. a lot of my kitties. You're in the right place. Have you seen the cats? <laughs> good. Nice. Very good. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so, so much. 
And you are listening to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. You've been listening to Get Your Book Seen and Sold with Claudine Walk, my Substack account, claudinewalk.substack.com. Sign up for my newsletter today.